0: Well, good morning to each of you. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, Welcome Lawrence and Tina as well. It's good having you all here. Uh, Marie and your family, it's good to have you here as well, as well as all the home folks. Uh, It's been a while since we've seen a few of you. We had uh, camp last week and we did not meet here, but some of you weren't able to make it. Well, I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Ephesians six. We want to continue uh, our study and our our messages through Ephesians. Uh, we have just to put context to to the to the message this morning. We have come through first of all Paul beginning to open up to the Ephesian believers there what it meant to be saved going what God the Father has done in planning our redemption what God the Son has done in giving himself sacrifice for our sins and 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 making us his very own and what the Holy Spirit is doing in renewing us and and, and teaching us the things of Christ and the abiding comforter that he is to his children and we understand from the book of Ephesians that God has fully invested himself in the salvation of man. He has fully given himself to the work of bringing sinners to himself. And we see here directly how that this applies to us. And we're going to To back up, we're we're in Ephesians chapter 6 and we're ready for verse 4. We are going to back up to chapter 5 and verse 22 just to read and get the context of of this passage. The title of this message this morning is part 2 of The Gospel in Our Homes. The Gospel in Our Homes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we we are many. Me- I'm sorry. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word and we hear your word, Father, we know that from your word, you, uh, you teach us, Lord, who you are. So this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive something of yourself, an understanding of you, Lord, and that this word would not come apart from a close and an intimate relationship with you through your Son. Open our minds and our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, Mold our hearts, Father, that we may understand your truth. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see and understand. Give us ears to hear and to receive it. Give us hearts to obey. We give you all praise and glory because it is all yours. We, we are of you. We come from you. And all glory be to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to... Spend the first, <clears throat> this is probably going to be divided in two passages, but into two messages. I decided I was not going to do what I did, done the last few times and went over. So I'm going to try to get you out of here in time. So beginning here in verse 4, this, this, this message to you fathers, it comes to us fathers in the context of the rest of the admonition and the teaching that he gives about the home. And we have many young men here who are beginning in your in your married life, you're starting homes, you have started homes, or you, maybe you're anticipating starting a home. This, uh, as well as young ladies, this is for you. And I want you to take heed to to the direction that God gives because this will greatly impact your future. This is going to make the difference in your home life. This is going to change the trajectory of the next generation. And I say this with love and yet with firm conviction that you and I must have Christ within to be who God has called us to be. So let's, let's look here. First of all, he says, and you fathers. The context of this is in the home, the Christian home. The training and the teaching of children that God has, that God has given to us, the, 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 the commandment to train and teach our children, it is rooted in God bringing together one man and one woman to create one home for their children. We notice that as we look back here in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become One flesh. We see this going all the way back into Genesis, where God brought made the woman. He had made the man, and then he made the woman, and he brought the woman to the man. And the woman and the man were joined together in marriage. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And God says there that He has joined them together. He has blessed this union. He is the one who has infused his grace. He's given them grace together. And so, in this new home, they are creating an atmosphere. They're creating a place. They're creating the ability to have children and to raise children. In fact, this is at the heart. If you want to break the scriptures down, this verse that this, this passage of scripture that we're looking at right now, you find it contained in almost every book of the Bible. That God, in his desire to bring to him a people for himself, he goes to the root, to the heart of the issue, and that is fathers and mothers. Because the fathers and the mothers today are bringing up the fathers and mothers of tomorrow. And so, this is something we must take with utmost seriousness. We must take it with with an attitude of wanting to learn, what is it that God wants me to get from this? Now, the possibility here is that Paul uses, maybe using, he dresses fathers, but I don't think this means that mothers are all off the hook. I believe that what he's saying about fathers can also possibly be a part of mother's uh, issue to deal with as well. And it's, uh, in fact, fathers, the word fathers is used in Hebrews, meaning fathers and mothers or parents. There's a, the, it's interpreted in the English Bible there as parents, the parents of Moses. Here, the same word is interpreted as fathers. So, The fathers, though, are the target of this admonition. He's he's laying the responsibility at the head of the home, if you please. Go back to Ephesians 5 again, and we find here in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so we see here that God has established the fact that we as fathers are to be the, the instruments of love, of his love, to our families and to our children. Because this is how he treats us. This is what he does for us. Notice in verse 30. In verse 30 we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. God uses us, or, or holds us is what I meant to say, as part of himself when he brings us into the kingdom of God he un- he brings us into union with Jesus Christ and therefore just as Christ is received back to heaven as his son and he's given authority and power so the believer is united in Christ and one day God will receive the children his children just as he receives his son in fact, there will be, our only entrance there is the fact that we come in the Son, united to the Son. And so, this human relationship of husband and wife coming together, it is rooted in God. And notice that he says here that it is, it is rooted together just as Christ loved His church. And gave himself for his church. That's that's how we came to Christ. Is that he gave himself for us. And so he says, husbands, you're to love your wives this way. And by extension, this is how you are to love your children. You're to love them with the love that God has, that Christ has for his church. These relationships... Between, first of all, Christ and His Church is the most influential relationship in the history of man. No other relationship has impacted the, the history of man, the way Christ's relationship to his church has impacted him. And let's let's think carefully on this because when we go back through the ages, we have Nations that have been, in fact, our nation, begin because Christ bought a people for Himself and they wanted to serve and worship Him. We can go even further back and we can see how that the whole life of the church changed in the Reformation times because people began to understand that they were bought by Christ, not by the Roman Catholic Church. And that they are united to Christ and therefore must stand with Christ. This relationship has impacted world leaders. It has impacted the church. It has impacted societies. It has impacted nations. And friends, it is by far the most influential relationship in the history of man. But, he has called the marriage the home the relationship between husband and wife and children to be the most influential relationship of a person's life in other words when someone talks about going back where they where they used where they grew up they're going back home they they talk about this thing that you know We get together for Christmas, or we get together for Thanksgiving. We're going home for Christmas. We're going home for Thanksgiving. You even go to prison, and you talk with the men that are being incarcerated behind bars. And, you know, they talk about home. Even though they've done many wicked things. This relationship of home, somehow there's a relationship that goes back there. God has called this relationship to influence our children. So that the next generation will rise up and influence the following generation. And that they will be able to influence the next generation. And that even if God so gives us years so that we can see our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, that we can be an influence on them for godliness. This is why we must take it seriously. Just to put it shortly... The world has trashed this relationship. The world has done away with this this bond that is to be there. It's not without failures. People are human. People have sinned. We bring our own weaknesses and our own failures into marriage when we come into marriage. All failure, though, comes from the sin Within mankind, not from God's design and plan. I believe that we must hold up this truth that God's design is the design that we will follow. Because the world is tearing that apart as much as they can. Romans chapter 5. Hold your finger here in Ephesians. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 5. And let's look at Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience... Many will be made righteous. Notice that just as one man disobeyed God, so he brought the rest of mankind into disobedience. Men disobey God not because they were in a bad place in a bad time. They disobey God because they have a heart of disobedience that came as a result of the fall. And friends, we bring the remnants of our sin even into the best of our marriages. This is is an ongoing process of sanctification that God is working in us. That while He's building something beautiful and glorious in our homes, He's working on us. Let's not think that because things have eroded so badly in our society and because maybe things are going chaotic in your home, Maybe because things are not right that God's design has failed. But let's remember, Christ has been given as a response to the failure of man on this occasion. Christ is given as a response to man's failure. Where where Adam failed in the garden to resist the temptation of the devil, Christ fulfilled God's will by resisting and refusing to obey, to, to obey the devil in any of the temptations that the devil placed upon him. In fact, in the, in the wilderness, when he, was, when he was driven by the Holy Spirit to be tempted, there he took victory over Satan. He was tempted just like man was. Man was tempted in the garden with the lust of the flesh, with the lust of the eyes, and with the pride of life. It was a food good to to the eyes. It looked good. It was a food that that was desirous, and it was one that would make one wise. So Christ was tempted with bread when God when he was fasting, and he resisted that temptation. He was tempted with the with the uh, temptation to turn uh, to to jump off of a high place so that. And the angels would, would keep him from dashing his foot. And the pride of life came forth. There's the other one. I don't, the other one's not coming to my mind right at the moment. But nonetheless, he was tempted in every point. And he was successful. He obeyed the will of God. And so, friends, that is his, he has given us the ability to overcome this. We also find that all wisdom concerning our marriages, belongs to God. Not only does the failure on our part, uh, it's not on God's part, but God gives wisdom. He gives instruction. He gives direction. Turn with me to Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 9. In Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, We have these words. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of, right, of justice and prever- preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice equity and every good path when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul discretion will preserve you understanding will keep you now notice he says that god gives these things they don't come from us they come from god and so in order to get them from god what does he say in verse the beginning of the of the of the passage there verse Chapter 2, verse 1 My son, if you receive my commandments, if you treasure my commands with you, so that you incline your ear, you bend your ear to wisdom, you will apply your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, you're desperate to find what God has for you concerning this. You lift up your voice, you want understanding you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then you will know you will understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god for the lord gives wisdom god gives wisdom he gives it to the heart who is desperately in need of wisdom the problem is we don't see ourselves the way we ought to see ourselves many times. God is the author of our homes. And men, as we go back to Ephesians and we see that this is directed at us, I believe we must not think ourselves too big to take heed to this warning. I want to ask you this morning that are you following God's plan for your home? Do you care about what God wants from your home? Do you care this morning about what God is wanting from you as a father? Do you care that you, whether you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church or whether you're not? Does that matter to you this morning? Do you care about the place your children are today, if you have children? Do you care about these things? Are you allowing him, fathers, to teach you and to train you how to truly love your families? Are you letting him teach you? You know, the world paints men as macho men. Strong men. Men who can do anything they put their mind to. Self-made men. It's not God's measure of a man, by the way though God may have given you that ability, praise God for it, the measure of a man is if you're willing to bow at his feet and take instruction off of him. Are you willing to learn from him? Are you willing to take his word? You see, my friend, today, the way you, if you would look back in Proverbs, he tells his son, my son, hear my commandments and live. The problem that we often have is we come into marriage and we realize, as I did many times, that I did not listen to my dad. I did not listen to the instruction he gave me when I was a young man. And now I don't know how to listen to God. And Man, it's a problem with us. I'm the first to admit it. And so when we come to this, we're suddenly having to get a crash course of an understanding of what it means to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Because now I have children. And They too are going to follow my example. Mothers, are you able to rest in God's design for your home? Though things don't go right at times, though you struggle and you have difficulties, I want to ask you Do you trust Him to lead you by His wisdom and His love for you? You see, you too must get wisdom from God. You too must hear what God has to say because this is the place of joy. This is the place where God promises that obedience to Him will bring joy to your life. In fact, He says disregard teaching and training your children and they'll bring sorrow to your soul. You apply the teaching of God to your children they'll bring joy to you. They'll come back and bless you. The Proverbs 31 woman had her children come back and call her blessed. But it was because she did some hard work. She was willing to hear from God and she was willing to apply it to her children. And then it's for us too. If our children are going to be able to walk with God, God can save sinners. God can save rebels. I I have no doubt about that. He can take someone whose heart is hard and convert them into a loving, peaceful person. But brothers and sisters, let's not Throw away God's means of us pointing our children to the cross. This is how we point them to the cross. It's through the wisdom of God. And it's got to start right here. If it doesn't start here, it's not going any further. And the reason it doesn't go any farther because more is caught than what is taught. They will catch your attitude. They will catch your your feelings. They will catch your emotion more than they will catch what you say. And the way we, the only way we we find ourselves successful in obedience to God is when it's here and we apply ourselves to teach it and to train with it. Well, secondly, yes, he's talking to fathers. But secondly, do not provoke your children to wrath. God's injunction here is against abuse. It is provoking to wrath. Colossians 3.21 says, is, is a mirror passage, a, a corollary passage. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be Discouraged. And that's literally what it provoke here means, to rouse to wrath. To to just attempt to make someone angry or upset them. To exasperate them. In fact, God says in, in, in Romans 10 that He is doing this to Israel because they have turned against Him. He says, I'm going to provoke them. I'm going to arouse them. Stir them up. Because... They have left the way of truth. That's God's prerogative to do that to, his pe- to the people over whom he rules because he in turn is working to bring about the salvation of all who will come to him. The reason we do this to our children though is to dominate, to control, and to manipulate them. We find this all the time. As we we don't have to go very far. We can go to the grocery store. And you don't find. Uh, you find that these these things are used, and it frustrates the children. The children are upset, and there is no relief for them to be being upset. They're just upset, and quite frankly, parents manipulate them. They dominate them when they can. Friends, we are to not provoke our children to wrath. But on the contrary, we're to nurture them and teach them. And this includes a personal relationship with your children. This is the kind of relationship God has with his children. He personally loves his children. He nurtures us. And teaches us. And this is the kind of relationship we are to have with our children. History would tell us in this passage, and at the time of this passage was written, that it was a common way for fathers to rule their household with rigid control and little feeling for their families. It was much of a different culture of that day. Many times they had servants in the household. The father was trying to run Everything. Uh, <clears throat> control, take, take headship over his servants and, 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 and uh, rule his household and yes, he, even in the best of days he could come across this way because he had very little time but brothers and sisters we must make this a priority our future generation our children coming behind us they need to see God at work, And that's why he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. God does not provoke his children to wrath. That's not God's way of working with his children. God disciplines his children at times. Sometimes that discipline is tough. But never does God provoke his children to wrath. God is not about the business of stirring up his children against himself. Proverbs 30 and in verse 33, we have a verse that talks about this. Proverbs 30 and verse 33 says this, For the churning of milk produces butter, the wringing of nose produces blood, and the forcing of wrath produces strife. It will ultimately produce strife and chaos in your home if you take this path. It is the means of abuse. <clears throat> closely related to this strife will be chaos and confusion because you're you're making things confused in their minds you the father who from whom they should experience love from whom they should experience teaching and instruction and nurturing you're cold you're indifferent you're uncaring and it confuses them. They won't hate you so often as much as they will hate themselves. They'll hate themselves. This way of sin leads many fathers to relate to their children. This is the way sin leads many fathers to relate to their children. I see it in the place where I work. Men don't want to be with their fathers, and their fathers don't want to be with them. Because their father, they and their fathers just absolutely cannot get along. Brothers and sisters, that's not what God intended. The gospel. What we have been seeing God tell us through the book of Ephesians, the gospel is the answer to this problem. It is the gospel and no other. Don't think for a minute that you can go to a seven-step program somewhere. They might be able to diagnose your sin, but they cannot make you conquer The evil that resides in the natural man. The natural man must be conquered by Christ. And Christ alone. And so there is where you must go and there is where I must go. Let's turn for a minute to Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus was dealing with some people here I'm sorry, not Matthew, John chapter 8. I've got the wrong... It's John chapter 8. Jesus was, taught, was dealing with some people here who were very much the same way, natured that very way of, if, if, of provoking, of abusing those who did not agree with them. And you would think Jesus, of all people, surely His perfection... Surely his glory being displayed. People would have said, there's no way I'm going to do this with him. Let's just read this passage. Verse 37. Let's begin in verse 34. Jesus answers them. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Then they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, You would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice as we go to verse 37. These people claimed to be the descendants of Abraham. Friends, they were very religious. These were, people were meticulously religious. They obeyed what they believed was down to the very spices that they kept in their pantry. As far as tithing them. They would be exact in what they did. But listen. They were proud of it. They were proud that they had a natural lineage to Abraham. Religious pride will always reject the truth. Religious pride will always cause us to abuse others and will destroy anyone who brings... and we want, will cause us to want to destroy anyone who brings the truth against us. And so Jesus... Here, he makes it clear in verse 38 that his word comes from the Father. It's not even his own word. It comes from the Father. And what did they say about it? He said, I speak to you. I speak what I have seen with my Father. You do what you have seen with your Father. Their response to his word from God was to respond with a word from their father, whom he later says was the devil himself. I believe we must understand that ultimately this sin is rooted in Satan. It is rooted in the work of Satan within the heart of a lost sinner. Now, I believe that a believer is set free from the root of his sin. But we are, this, this root of sin that we're set free from, that, we're, that has been overcome, is replaced with the Spirit of God living within. But we're encased in a body of flesh. We're encased in a body that still has a desire for sin. The natural, the natural inclination of our bodies is that we want to follow where our, where our nature was rooted in, when we were born. You see, when we, were, when we were lost, there was no competition between our spirit and our body. Our spirit wanted evil and our body wanted to do evil. But when a man becomes, or a person becomes born again, there is a new nature put within them. And when they are born again, they are set free before God and they have peace with God. But they begin a war with themselves. The battle begins to rage against the flesh. Because the flesh still wants and craves those things of sin. Listen, I I know that our weakness, though the root of that weakness is overcome, brothers, yet we become we find ourselves lapsing back to the flesh. Because that's where we were born. And God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the work of Christ to free us completely from the nature of sin. We are able, by the grace of God, to overcome What is naturally inherent in our bodies. That's what Christ came to do. He came to set the captive free. So that our sin would not dominate us and take us to death. Jesus here just simply tells these people, you've never had a change of heart and so you're doing what your father, the devil, tells you to do. You have no ability to hear and understand and repent and believe And do what he says. Can't do it. Because you're in coordination with your lost nature. In fact, as we look at this passage a little further, I'm going to move on down a little bit. Verse 43. He says, why do you not understand my speech? Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Why is it that there's a deafness here? There's a blindness here. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you want to do. You're doing what you want to do. You're saying what you want to say because this is your nature. Friends, this is the greatest deception, is to believe that we're saved. We're highly religious. We can order our family in, in all kinds of good things. But we're lost. I want to tell you this morning. Fathers if you're lost. Jesus. Is your only hope. Jesus is the only way. To find peace. In your home. Because the lost man. Cannot help anyone else. To find the way. Jesus said it, the blind lead the blind they both fall into the ditch and this is a this is a clear testimony that when we become arrogant we become proud we become abusive arrogance in the heart the pride of the heart leads to abuse and deception We don't hear the word of God anymore. We can put it on other people. We can apply it to anybody else's life. But when I can't take it for myself, there should be all kinds of red flags that go up and say something's wrong. The same word that I'm going to use to teach my son is the same word that needs to teach me. And that starts at a young age. You see, we're abusers by nature in the old man. And the work of Christ is to change that heart from one that rejects the word of God to one who receives the instruction of God. That's why he says, stop provoking your children to wrath. This is not the way you are to live anymore. You are to live according to the grace God has given you are to teach and instruct. And we're going to get into some of that because it's not always just easy to discern. It's not always easy to work our way through. We by nature do not love God. Do not love as God is commanding us to love, which is how he, Christ loved his church. It's going to take something supernatural to do what God is calling us to do, husbands and fathers. It's commonly the weakness within us is also a place that God has given us to function. Loving our wives as Christ loved the church is probably the hardest thing you could ask any man to do. To love his children the way Christ wants you to love your children is probably something that that stretches all of us to the max. But He calls us to do it. You know why? Because the provision of salvation is there to do it. And we must rest in His grace. We must get our provision from Him, not us. It means that I lay myself down to receive what God has for us. We'll turn quickly to Malachi 4. The last book of the Old Testament. The last verses of the Old Testament. Malachi 4. Verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. By the way, how did that work? When God gave his statutes and judgments, he says, go ahead and possess the land and make this a kingdom that is a kingdom of my people. You are my people. I've called you out. You're to establish my way. You're to spread the gospel to the nations, literally. How did that work out? There's an ultimate failure. Israel wound up at this point being taken into captivity. And we're under captivity even in the day of Christ. But let's notice what he says. He says in verse 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Brothers, this is a promise. Christ has promised he will do this. And it's a work he does within us. He says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to the children. Why has sin run rampant? Why is the curse of sin gone? Proceeding from one generation to the next. Because men don't turn their hearts to their children. And children don't turn their hearts to their fathers. And it keeps going. God's answer to this is Christ. Christ is God's answer. He died on the cross, friends, to change the hard heart. He died on the cross so that instead of provoking your children to wrath and being hard-hearted to them, you have a relationship with them that teaches and admonishes them about who God is. I want to ask you this morning fathers have you been transformed in your hearts by the work of Christ? Are you being transformed by the work of Christ? You only fulfill God's intentions for you and your family as you are changed by the gospel that you seek to point your children to. You will only be successful in pointing your children to the gospel if that same gospel changes you and young men that goes for you sitting here today and you're not married and maybe no prospects of marriage young ladies as the gospel changing your heart let's not think ourselves too big to say that will never happen to me Let's not think ourselves so good that we will never do something like that. The thing we need to ask ourselves is the gospel changing my heart. Am I broken over my sin? I still remember, even as my children were young, how the Lord Began to work in my heart. And rather than being upset at my children for the things they did, I began to weep because I knew that what they were doing came from dad, probably. I want to tell you, friends, that's what we need to get hold of. We're no better than our children, we're no better than our fathers. We're no better than our grandfathers. Unless the gospel gets a hold of us, we don't have anything. I don't care how religious we are. I don't care if we do everything right every Sunday. It's just an empty shell if the gospel doesn't go to our homes. And man, it's got to start with us. God must get a hold of our hearts. And we must lay ourselves before him say Lord what is it that you want me to do and when we have to correct our children when we have to teach our children let's teach them in remembrance that but for the grace of God I'd have done the same thing well in conclusion our homes are designed by God to reflect his character And to give him glory. God has designed our lives so that. While we are being sanctified as Christian parents. We are involved in the task of sanctifying our children for God's use. While God is sanctifying us. We're setting apart our children for God's use. That's the goal. That's the aim. If we're going to create a godly atmosphere in teaching godly in a godly manner. We must submit ourselves to the God who alone can save our children. Let us remember something, brothers and sisters. These children that are given to us are not ours ultimately. They're God's. They're deposited here as a gift for us. And we are here to raise these children not just the way everybody thinks we ought to, but how God says we should. When these little souls come into our, into our lives and into our homes, our aim is to point them to the cross. And our goal is that they may too point their children to the cross. May God give us grace and wisdom as we allow His Spirit to penetrate our hearts and uncover the content of of the heart that's there so that we may endeavor to discipline and teach our children in the fear of God. Let's take courage because this is not just to tear you down. But brothers and sisters, it is to take you to the place of hope. And that is Jesus Christ never lets his children down. He never forsakes them. And he will always give you the wisdom you need. Well, we want to finish this verse next time. Let's pray before we dismiss. Our Father, as we stand here before you, we thank you, Lord, for this, for this truth of your word. Lord, how that you want your gospel, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to our own hearts. And it must change us, Lord. And you are working to sanctify us who have been changed. So God, give us humility. As we deal with our children and as we anticipate, or even those who are anticipating dealing with our children, I pray that we would have humility. Humbleness to come before your throne and say, I don't have everything I need. I need you, Lord. I pray that as we, Lord, as we would attempt to obey you, I pray that we would just rely on you completely for all that we need. And bless this congregation and bless the people here, Lord. I pray that your hand of grace would be upon them. Lord, that you would move them by your spirit, that the gospel would prosper in their lives, that they would be rich in faith towards you. And that your hand of grace would be upon them and your face may smile upon them. And the blessing that you have promised to your children would be upon them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.